Uh, we're still on break from our chapter and verse study of the book of Ezekiel. There's a lot of really great stuff left in that book, but tonight we're going to spend some time with Jesus in Mark chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there are some Bibles on the back shelf where you. you can grab one, follow along. Specifically, we're going to be in verses 13 through 15 of Mark chapter 2, uh, where we see the call of Levi, who we know more popularly as Matthew, and the feast that he throws for Jesus and his friends and family. It's a great passage. Let's pray as we get into it. Lord, again, we want to take a moment to come before you in, in prayer, Lord, and we just ask that you would prepare our hearts, Lord, every, every one of us. Um, pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and, and hearts to understand. We pray, Lord, that you would instruct us and reveal to us more of who you are and more of what you want for this wonderful life that you've prepared for us. Uh, do a great work in our church, do a great work in our lives as individuals. God, we just want more of you and, and we want more of what you've offered us in your word and by your power. In your name we pray. Amen. So tonight we want to talk about our calling as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to talk about that because calling is always a good thing to think about and to talk about and to work through. Because when we remember the, the calling that God has placed on our lives and what that really means to us, then everything else falls into place in, in His will. You know, if we're focused on our calling and, and understand what that means and who we are as disciples, then everything else falls into place. The Apostle Paul spoke about our calling a lot and how important it is. Let me give you two instances. Romans eleven twenty nine. Paul said, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. It's a nice promise. He also said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 20, he said, Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. So your calling is important, and thinking about that and working through that is also important according to God's Word. And so when we look at our calling as individuals, we find that we are important to God as individuals. You are important to God, and He has called you to a new life as a disciple, as one who follows Jesus Christ and receives from Him irrevocable gifts. We see a little bit of how all of this works out practically in the record here of Jesus calling Levi, or Matthew, the tax collector. I'll be using those names interchangeably, so please forgive me. So let's take a look at our passage. Mark 2:13 opens and says, "Then Jesus went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. And he passed by, and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, "Follow me." So he arose and he followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many and they followed him. This is really a great passage. It's concise. It's full of devotional insight. There's lots of principles here for us to dive into. Now, obviously, you know, I think you guys all know this. Obviously, the whole Bible is important. The scriptures in whole are inerrant and inspired, and therefore, the scriptures in whole are authoritative for our lives. However, on some level, I think it's interesting to think about the different stories or the specific ideas that God repeats for us over and over and over again in his word. Here's what I mean by that. John said in his gospel that Jesus Christ did so many things while he was on the earth that if you wrote down every one of those things in a book, the world itself would not be large enough to contain all the volumes of that story. We wouldn't be able to fill the world with all the books of the things. Here's what Jesus did on this day. Here's what he did that afternoon. Here's what he did. If we wrote them all down, the world would be full of them. 
Uh, and so now, specifically speaking, let's talk about the Gospels. God gave us four Gospels, right? So you, you, get, you have John who says the whole world can't contain just what Jesus did. Not anybody else in the Bible that we read about, not any of the other books, just what Jesus did in three and a half years of ministry. We couldn't contain those books. But God looks down and he prepares his word for us and then delivers it to the people of the earth. And, and he gave us four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four short books uh, which give us a look at Jesus on the earth, his teachings, his ministry, in a special narrative form. Okay, and that's great. We're excited about that. Now, let's think about this from our perspective. This is what I was thinking about earlier today. If Jesus did so many things that we couldn't house them all in all the libraries of all the world, and if God then determined to say, okay, that's true, but I'm only going to give you four Gospels. We're going we're to boil it down to four Gospels. Then in my human logic, my human logic would dictate that, okay, well, in those four Gospels, then there shouldn't be any repetition. Okay, there, 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 there's logic dictates that each gospel should be completely unique so that we get as many different stories as we can. So we get as wide of a picture as we can. You don't need to repeat. You don't need to tell us that again. But that isn't how God sets up his word at all. Thank, thank the Lord that he doesn't operate using human logic. Instead, he uses his own uh, heavenly wisdom. In fact, we look at the gospels and, of course, we find lots of overlap, a lot of overlap. We find repetition, we find real currents. And why is that? And it's because God wants to remind us of things as we read his word. Because God is faithful to say, I want you to get this. And so I'm going to repeat it to you again and again and again. I'm going to rehearse this idea to you. And as you read through this book, you're going to find on every page things like, I love you. Things like, you need a savior. Things like, I have a plan for your life. Things like, I have hope for your today and for your tomorrow. And all these things that he repeats over and over and over again. This particular story of Levi's calling and the feast that he makes is recorded for us in three of the four Gospels. Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 2, Luke chapter 5. And so we can be assured that God is really wanting us to get the principles that we find here. There's something important in these verses, you know, like the rest of the Bible, of course, but on this other level that we're thinking devotionally, there's something important here about Levi's calling and about how this works out in our lives as disciples as well, that the Lord is repeating to us so that we can get it, so that we can grab on to what he's trying to teach us. God reminds us of this story three times in the Bible so that we can understand more of what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a real biblical Christian. And so let's see what this is all about. Back in verse 13, it says, Then Jesus went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. The first and most important principle of our calling as Christians is that Jesus Christ is the focus of our calling, not us. We are not the focus of that calling, it's not some goal. There's no goal that's the focus of our calling. There's not a list of rituals or requirements that are the focus of our calling. What we find is that we're called to follow him. We're called to follow a person, Jesus Christ. And through the Bible, we learn a great deal about who Jesus is and what he is like and what he said. That's why he has delivered us his word, because he is our focus. He is the one that we're to follow after. We have his recorded word, which reveals himself to us. And, and here in this passage, we are reminded again something very special about Jesus, the fact that he is a teacher. Our Savior and, and the one that we're following after, he is a teacher. He's always teaching. Always teaching. He spent his time on earth saving and serving and teaching and inviting people to find new life in him. 
Think about it just for a minute, and we'll you know, pull a couple of quick examples. As a boy in the temple, we find him teaching. As a man on the seashores here, we find him teaching. In boats and in houses and in the wilderness and with his friends, always teaching. He was always teaching. Jesus is the same today. Our God, of course, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But you know, his nature is the same today, and the way that he operates in our lives is the same as well today. He is a teacher, and his desire is to teach his people. That's why you're here tonight, right? That's why we're here. Because we're here because we want to hear from God. We want to learn from God. We want to know what the Lord has to say to us. We're here to worship the Lord. We're here to study His Word because we trust from the Bible and we believe that God is actively speaking day in and day out. But in our personal lives, I know that I personally need the reminder that Jesus is about call and response. Call and response. Call and response. That's, that's how, you know, one of the ways that Jesus interacts with us as individuals. Call and response. We see it again and again and again in the Gospels. Call and response. He's offering us wisdom or truth or opportunity each day or each morning or in each moment. And then he waits for our response. What are you going to do with this opportunity that I've given you? What are you going to do with this gift that I've given you? What are you going to do with this moment that I've given you? Because he, as we talked about on Sunday, he's a God who respects our free will. He respects our choices. But he's always calling and waiting for our response. He's waiting for our decision, waiting to see if we have what? Ears to hear or not. It's an encouraging thing. Whenever he would tell a parable, he'd yell out, you know, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that, of course, we know is an invitation. Jesus was saying, okay, I'm going to impart to you truth. If you want to know about it, just come and ask me. Call and response. He is a God who wants to inform and transform. He wants to inform us about who he is and how to live life in his will. And then he wants to transform us and empower us to do all those things that he talks about in his word. He is a teacher, not a fixture. And I think that this is important. Our God is a teacher, not a fixture. You know, the gods of world religions, you, you, you know, whether they be you know, um, the kind we think about from you know, treasure hunting movies where they have little tiki gods or things like that, but all the gods of the world religions, they're fixtures. They're little fixed statues or little fixed you know, uh, uh, carvings or little fixed ideas that stand inanimate in a shrine somewhere. All the gods of the world are fixtures. They are gods who do not speak, they do not breathe, they do not transform, they do not inform. They don't do any of those things. Jesus Christ is very different. He is an active God who is actively speaking to you tonight, tomorrow, the next day, every day. God is actively speaking to each one of you individually and speaking to us as a church corporately. He's calling to you. He's calling to us. And therefore, as disciples, our focus, the focus of, of our followership, the focus of our discipleship is Jesus Christ, a person. We are called to him. You know, you look at, let's say, a religion like Islam where, you know, we boil it down and it's about scales. How much good did I do versus how much bad did I do? And, you, and you're called to essentially a life of works and essentially a life of weighing out the scales. I'm called to do what, you know, my sacred texts call good things. That's what I'm called to. That's what I'm following after. And Christianity is completely different than all of those other systems where Jesus says, no, you're called to me. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to inform you. I'm going to do this stuff in your life. I have a lot of plan for holiness and godliness and glorification for you, but you're called to me. You're not called to some ritual. You're not called to anything. You're called to a relationship with me, a person. And so on this particular day... Jesus went out to the sea. He taught the people who came to listen because he is a teacher. Verse 14, the story moves on. He says, 
And Jesus passed by, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So Levi arose and followed him. Now, you know, I want to be honest. I think sometimes I have an improper mental picture of, of how the disciples were called in the Gospels. I don't, you know, I think I do it wrong sometimes. I don't know if it's because of movies or just assumptions I've made. But, you know, if I'm not careful, I start imagining that Jesus is walking around and he goes and he just cold called these guys. He just walked up to these strangers that he had never seen before. They'd never seen him before. And he says these magic words to him and they sort of hypnotically start following him. You know, they get up and follow him after him like zombies or, or Pavlov's dogs. And, and, and this is not how it worked. Obviously, Levi, who, again, also named Matthew, forgive me if I mix those up. But he had obviously already heard about Jesus. He had no doubt heard Jesus teach And so now here in this moment, he's brought to the place of decision where Jesus turns to him and looks him in the eye and he says point blank to him, right now, follow me, yes or no, right now. What are you going to do with the information that you have? What are you going to do with, you know, the, the, the faith that you have? And Levi was convinced. He believed that this man before him was the Messiah. He was convinced and converted to him. And so what did he do? He got up, he left his tax office and he followed the Lord. That's the transaction that happened. Now, Luke's account of this story points out that Matthew left all. He, he left everything to follow Jesus. Most of you know that tax collectors of that time, they made a lot of money typically because they were extortioners and it was a good government job and so they made a lot of money. Uh, but, of course, they were also hated by their countrymen. They were hated by everybody because even though they were Jews living in Judea, they had decided to serve and labor for the Roman Empire who, of course, was occupying and subjugating the people of Israel. Now, in fact, Levi, that name, Levi, means joined. That's how it's translated, and so meaning that it has. And so, you know, you could, you could say that to those around him as they said his name and they would go to his tax office and have to give their money to the Caesar. His name itself would be a very subtle reminder that he had joined Rome. He had left his place in the people of Israel and he had joined Rome and abandoned Israelites and abandoned his tribe, abandoned his community. Now, we can speculate that he was probably from the tribe of Levi. We don't know that for sure, but it's possible and it's probable that he was from the tribe of Levi. And if that is true, then, then now we have another you know, sort of speculative devotional thought to think about. He would have been one of the privileged few who were allowed to serve in the temple. He, he was one of the few that should have been set aside to be a priest or a Levite in service of the Lord, there in the very presence of, of very God. And yet there he was, joined to Rome in a Roman tax office, collecting fees for Caesar, extorting his countrymen for his own benefit. This is the guy that Jesus walked up to and said, I want you. I want you. And as the same that he walks up to each one of us wherever we were at, and he said, I want you. I don't care about your background. I don't care about all this stuff because I'm going to take care of this stuff. I'm going to transform your life. I want you. I want you to follow me. Jesus looked at him in that state, in that tax office, and he called to him. He called to him. He looked at Matthew, and he, and he said that he wanted to offer this man more in life. And Matthew left all. He said, okay, I believe it. I believe in who you are, I believe in who you say, and I'm going to do it. Now, as we look out on the kingdom of God in general, you know, as we look through the Bible and we look at you know, the economy of God, as we say sometimes, we see that God calls different people to different levels of physical sacrifice. This is a, a principle that we see demonstrated in lots of different ways. Even in the Bible, we see this. So, for example, the 12, the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, they were called to leave everything. 
right? And they left everything. All these guys, they just got up, they left their boats, they left their tax offices, they left and they just went and followed Jesus. Eventually, other than Judas, who had a whole other deal going on, but eventually all of them were called to even leave their own lives behind and suffer martyrdom. Now, of course, that still happens today. There are still Christians today around the world dying for the name of Jesus Christ. Now, there were others in the Bible, and there are others today who, are, who you know, after finding salvation in Jesus, Jesus did not call them to total ascetic, leave everything sacrifice. You know, when Jesus healed and saved the demon-possessed man in the country of the Gadarenes, that man came and he said to Jesus, okay, I'm going to leave everything, and I'm going to just follow you around. And what did Jesus say to him? He, you know, he said, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to stay in your hometown, and you're going to do work for me. You're going to tell people about me. And that town, which essentially drove Jesus out and said, hey, we don't want you to be here because you ruined our business. The next time Jesus came around to that region, there were many who believed in the Lord. And so this guy, this original convert, did the Lord's work there. And God did not ask him, did not call him to leave everything. But he did as the Lord commanded and stayed there. And so Jesus doesn't call all of us to sacrifice every material thing. He doesn't call us, all of us to sacrifice every earthly relationship in order to follow, them, follow him. He does for some people, but he doesn't for all of his people. We are all called to sacrifice. Let's make that clear. Everybody in here is called to a life of sacrifice for the Lord. But the physical degree of that sacrifice is not always the same. And so if someone, you know, tries to lay a guilt trip on you that, you know, you spent 98 cents on your shampoo instead of 97 cents when you could have, you know, that's between you and the Lord, because the Lord calls us to different levels of physical sacrifice. He does call us to sacrifice, however. And so the question for us tonight is this, it's twofold. First, what level of sacrifice is God calling me to? What level of sacrifice of my time and my energy and my wealth and my life has God called me to? Because God has called each of us to sacrifice. Uh, the second part of that question is, am I sacrificing anything for the Lord? Am I bringing any offering to God? Any offering of my wealth, any offering of my time, any offering of my talent, any offering of my energy. Have I answered the call and turned away from the earthly mindset to focus on Jesus and his will for my life? Those are the questions. What does God want for me in my life and am I doing it? Now, not all of us are called to be penniless missionaries in the third world, but all of us are called to rise up and give complete control to Jesus as king. This is what Matthew was doing. Everyone is called to place him on the throne. And we are called to give Jesus complete control as king. Control of our finances and control of our schedules and control of our decisions and our dreams. Control of our lives. That's what every one of us is called to. All of us are called to that. A life where we leave everything for the direction of Jesus Christ. And that if the Lord is not directing us in some way, we leave it behind. That is what we are called to. To do Because Jesus then instructs us, as we enthrone him on our hearts, he instructs us on where to go, what to do, how to give, how to live, all of that stuff. To some he will call a greater degree of physical sacrifice, to others he will call a lesser degree of physical sacrifice. But the wonderful thing about the call of Jesus is that it is personal and it is continual. And that's what we find not only in this passage, but in our own lives as well. The words there when Jesus said, follow me, it doesn't only mean follow me in the sense that we read it there. It does, but it can also be translated as accompany me. That word can mean accompany me, where Jesus looked into his eyes and he says, I have something for you. Come with me. Accompany me to this new life. Jesus wants us to accompany him in this life that he's prepared for us day in and day out. 
His call on our lives is personal and it's continual. And so as we labor together, as he teaches us uh, and fills us, as he unveils this amazing plan that he has for our lives, that is our call. He is the continual teacher. He is the continual forgiver. He is the continual leader. Though our salvation is once and for all, the call to be a disciple is one that we receive every single day. Jesus said that we choose daily to take up our cross and follow him. He said every day, every day, morning by morning, take up your cross and follow me. We choose daily to pursue after Jesus or to stay seated in the place where he found us, joined to the kingdom of the world. And so Matthew believed that Jesus was the Messiah and then he received the personal call from the Lord. But just hearing Jesus doesn't make me a disciple. doesn't make you a disciple to just hear Jesus. Just listening doesn't equal pursuing. And this is a mistake that you know, we, it's possible for us to make. There had to be this moment of action. What did James say? He said, hey, faith without works is dead. And so here we understand that sentiment because Matthew could have believed it all he wanted. Oh, I believe this guy is the Messiah. But if he wanted his life to change, if he wanted to be used by God, if he wanted to become who we know him to be, the apostle, then there had to be action. There had to be him getting up out of his chair and following actively. There had to be that choice to go and engage and pursue Jesus. Contrast Matthew with the rich young ruler in Luke 18. Almost the same exact situation. That guy came to Jesus and he said, hey, I believe in what you say. I believe that, you know, maybe you're the Messiah. I believe in your teachings. I want eternal life. So what do I do? And Jesus, you know, essentially gave him the same call. He said, okay, follow me. And here's what I'm calling you to do specifically with your personal sacrifice. Follow me. What did the man do? He walked away sorrowful. He may have believed on some intellectual level, but there was no action. His faith was dead because he was unwilling to turn to God and give him control of his life. He was unwilling to relinquish his wealth. He was unwilling to sacrifice temporal things for heavenly treasure. Call and response. Call and response. Listening doesn't equal pursuing. There's another interesting element to the call of our man Matthew that we can learn from. I like this. He was there at the tax office by the seashore. Now, Bible commentators like H.A. Ironside point out that there was a customs office where fishermen would have to bring their catches of fish in, and then they would have to pay a tax per fish. Okay, so you're out there fishing, and then, you know, Rome's occupied you, and you'd go to the boathouse, and you'd have to pay and say, oh, I caught this many fish, and you'd have to pay a tax per fish. It would seem then that since they're by the seashore, that Levi's tax office was possibly one of those places who charged fishermen for their fish. You know where we're going here. Now, so what was Jesus, what, what, who was Jesus, where, where was Matthew going to end up after, the, after he got up away from his tax office here? Jesus was calling Matthew not only to minister to these people in this region that he had been scamming and ripping off and extorting on behalf of the Caesar. He was calling him to go and minister to these people who hated him. You know, he was one of the most hated members of society. But not only that, he was also calling Matthew to come and live and minister with the same people. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, fishermen, guys that probably had to come to his tax booth all the time and shell out after they did a hard night's work all night catching fish and then they had to show up and he's sitting there in his cush chair saying, you owe the Caesar for that, for that fish. And now Jesus is saying hey, uh, why don't you come be with me and some other guys? You know, in, the, in their old lives, these people would have been ideological and practical adversaries on a very rooted and bitter level. 
But now they're brought together in Jesus Christ to live and to work and minister alongside each other. And they were called to lay down those old offenses, to lay down that old hatred and as new creations in Christ Jesus. What a refreshing thing to know that we are new creations in the Lord. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's how this was possible. And so if there's one thing you can learn in these couple of verses and the verses immediately after it, you should check those out later tonight. If there's one thing you can learn about our attitude towards others as disciples, it is, to, it is the fact that we are to lay aside every prejudice. We are to lay aside every bias. We are to lay aside every attitude that would look on a person, whether they be a fellow Christian or an unbeliever in front of us and say, you are disqualified. That's one thing that we need to learn from this, these verses here. 13 through 15, and then also 16 and 17, we see the converse example of the Pharisees. And we have to learn this idea that as disciples, we must lay aside anything that would cause us to look at someone and judge them in a way that says, you are disqualified. You are disqualified from my love. You are disqualified from Jesus. You are disqualified from his righteousness. You're too dirty. You're too unworthy of my time or my compassion. You're, you're not worth it. You are disqualified because of who you are, who you spend your time with, or what you've been doing, you're disqualified. And when you look at this passage and you see that Jesus calls his disciples to lay all of that aside. Yeah, we're going to go and eat with tax collectors and sinners. We're going to go eat with the scum of the earth so that we can reveal Christ and salvation to them. That's what the scribes and the Pharisees did. They, you know, they went to this feast and they saw and they said, how dare you eat with these people? These people are unworthy of righteousness. These people are, people are unworthy of salvation. Look at who they are. Look at what they've done. Look at how they look. And they said, those people are disqualified. We don't have time to develop that study tonight, but you know, if we're not careful as Christians, we, we lose the attitude of a willing and compassionate disciple. We lose the attitude of saying, hey, I leave it all behind. I leave my biases behind. I leave my prejudices behind. And we put on the attitude of a disapproving Pharisee. Oh, wait. No, no, you? What group are you a part of? You are disqualified. You're disqualified from being in my presence. And we need to be careful of that. Because a Pharisee and a scribe looks at people and determines if they think that they are worthy of love or worthy of grace or worthy of my time or not. And we never want that to characterize us. So Matthew was called to serve those who hated him and to live in unity with those same people that he had extorted because he was a new creation and they were new creations. In fact, after Levi rose and followed after Jesus, we have forever known him as Matthew. It's not the gospel of Levi, it's the gospel of Matthew, uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, before we pointed out his name meant joined, Levi, joined, reminding us of his attachment to the world. But after, his name is forever known to us as Matthew, which means gift of God, gift of God. When God calls us, he gifts us a new life. He gifts us a new nature. He gifts us new empowering and new opportunities. He gifts us everlasting wisdom. He gifts us his strength. He gifts us his spirit. Quite a list of things that he gifts us. And what did Paul say about the Lord's gifts? That they are irrevocable. His calling and his gifting is irrevocable. And we can choose to set those things aside. We can choose to say, well, yes, I know you've given me these things, but today I'm not going to live in them. We can choose to turn back towards our old life joined with the world. But that which God has offered to us is continually offered to us morning by morning. He's offering us life and a cross. He's offering us hope and service. He's offering us love and sacrifice. That's what God is offering to us day by day as disciples. And so what did Matthew do? He went home, he threw a feast. 
He was full of joy. He was full of excitement. What he wasn't was penny-pinching. I think this is interesting as well. He didn't have a job. A financial advisor would probably have told him that, hey, you just quit your job. You need to save as much money as possible, you know, since you are jobless and pretty much homeless now for the next few years. You're going to be an itinerant minister. But instead, we see him lavishing. We see him celebrating. We see him evangelizing. His attitude was one of excitement and joy and evangelism. And so in this man, we see a transformation. He accepted the call. He put to action his faith. And though he would eventually be called to minister to people all over the region of Galilee and called to write this you know, um, uh, uh, gospel, he started at home. He started with his friends. He started with his family and his co-workers. He brought Jesus to them with joy and exuberance and passion. He threw a party. He threw a party and said, I want to tell you about this guy and what he's all about. And there we learn a final principle about our calling as disciples. We may may not all be gifted as evangelists. Not everyone has the gift of an evangelist. But all of us are to have lives that are evangelistic. That is a calling on every one of our lives as disciples. How do we do that? We do it by bringing Jesus home with us. That's what Matthew did. We do it by bringing Jesus to our co-workers and our friends and our families. That's what Matthew did. God is saying to us through his word and by his spirit, he's saying, look, the people around your life, yes, yes, I want to impact those people as well as I've impacted your life. I want to help them as well. They are in great need of the great physician. And I want to use you because you're right there. You're with them. And I want you to show them what I've done in your life. And so even if we're not given the specific gift of evangelism, we are all to be evangelistic in our living. And that's something we can evaluate ourselves for tonight. We live evangelistic by having joy. We live evangelistic by not complaining. We live that way by letting go of prejudices and hatreds. We live that way by following where Jesus goes and then doing what he asks us to do. Getting up out of the tax booth and going after him and pursuing him. Telling people how God has changed our lives. Being excited about being a Christian. Being excited about all the irrevocable wonders that he has gifted to us. We live evangelistic by showing people that you trust the Lord enough that you've given Him your future, you've given Him your decisions, you've given Him your finances, you've given Him your desires, you've given Him control of those things because you know that He's the Messiah. He's my Messiah and I trust Him. He's my Master, He's my Lord. And you know that He is good and you know that He has a good plan for your life. That's living evangelistically. And that's our call, to follow Jesus, to be transformed, to be used to glorify God and then to bring others to Him. And so God looks into your life and he says, nothing else in the world matters right now except you and me. That's it. All this other stuff going on, it's about you and me. And so right now, yes or no? Right now, yes or no? What are you going to do? That's what Jesus is saying to us every day. Discipleship is simply answering that call. Discipleship is following after the Lord. Discipleship is getting up and receiving the gifts and the calling that God has offered you. It's about bringing action to our day-to-day lives, where we make the choice to serve, we make the choice to pick up that cross, we make the choice to trust the Lord, we make the choice to have ears to hear and hearts that understand, we make the choice to enthrone God in our lives. That's discipleship. It's very simple. It's not always easy, but it's very simple. And if we know one thing, it's that disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, Christians can change the world. Disciples of Christ are the most satisfied, inspiring, dynamic, and hopeful people on the planet, and you are one of them. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. So remember, God is calling. He is calling lovingly and personally and powerfully. He has irrevocable gifts and purpose for your life. So see Jesus, hear Jesus, 
believe Jesus, and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thanks again for tonight. You're such a good God, and we are excited, Lord, to meet you face-to-face one day. What a... Uh, what an envious thing that these guys received their call face-to-face with you. And so, Lord, we just look forward to the day that we meet you uh, in person. Pray, Lord, that you'd fill us with a desire um, to follow after you, Lord, and that you would take away any burden or anything that's holding us back, Lord, anything that is tripping us up. God, we want to let those things go. And so tonight, Lord... Help us to end our time together worshiping, singing to you, thinking about who you are, what you've done, and what you want for our lives. We love you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.